Hello and welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. My name is Anna Petrovich, and each week my guests and I explore one aspect of Mother Earth and the gifts that she gives us. We also discuss why these gifts are so precious and why we should value them. We got you curious? Good. We love curiosity. Let's start. My guest today is a fellow European. His name is Dr. Wojciech Rykowski and he is from Warsaw, Poland. Wojciech and I have not met before this interview, but thankfully I discovered him online because of his extraordinary work. He has a master's in biology, a PhD in biochemistry, and presently works as a game developer. But he's perhaps most known for his remarkable illustrated book, Trees, A Rooted History. This interview is very special for me as I'm talking to a fellow children's book author who clearly also loves trees as much as I do. Wojciech, welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth. Hello, thank you for having me. A master's degree in biology, a PhD in biochemistry, a game developer. How did you end up writing such an inspiring book, a children's book, obviously, and more precisely, how did you and your illustrator, Piotr Socha, decide to create this incredible, incredible work of art. I believe that my journey with writing for children started during my PhD studies when I was writing uh, science uh, school books, textbooks for elementary school. And it took several years. And during that time, I learned to, how to write about complicated matters in an easy, accessible way and also how to fit the maximum amount of information in a tiny space on the, on the page. And I also had then some experience with scientific workshops for, for children and for, for their teachers. And fast forward a few years later, I was approached by an editor from Wieszostry Publishing House they were preparing a first book by Piotr Socha, uh, Bees, the Honey's History, Honey History. And it was Piotr's idea, it was uh, almost ready then. He had um, most of the uh, artwork of, of the illustrations ready, at least as a sketch. He had very good, very precise idea what this book would be about. And they just needed somebody could do two things. First, verify all the information on the ground of, of scientific accuracy, and then shape the text, like write it. So officially I started this work on the, working on this book as an editor, not an author. And uh, but and and the book has been published and it was I would say a major hit. I was quite surprised with this level of success. And so we decided we want to do another one. 
And this time I proposed a subject that was uh, important for me, it was trees. And talked with Piotr about it, and he said he said he needs some time to think about it. And then, like two days later, he sent me his a photo of him, of his tiny um, tiny silhouette standing against the giant redwood tree in America. And he said, "You know, I'm a dendrophile too. Let's do that." So, so we did. It's beautiful. It's truly, truly beautiful. I really recommend it. And one, I mean, you have so many fans. One reviewer said, and this is a lot of what you, what you mentioned earlier, Piotr's work is also so great. This reviewer said, I'm deeply impressed with how this book uses the picture book format to translate the beauty and magnificence of trees in such a way that, it, that gives us a new perspective and a new appreciation. The art definitely indulges our eyes and focuses our attention on how incredible trees are. So tell us, Wojciech, why do you feel our trees so incredible? And why should we value them apart from the tiny little detail that they produce our most urgent and life-sustaining necessity, namely oxygen? Yeah, the oxygen part is, is, is really interesting, interesting thing, because obviously trees do produce vast amounts of oxygen because they are big plants. But something that we tend to remember is that during the tree's life cycle, the net production of oxygen equals zero. Because once the tree, trees I, I believe that most of the listeners are aware how photosynthesis works, but I just, I just say it for the sake of argument. The photosynthesis works like that, that the tree or any plant absorbs carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and then splits its molecule and releases oxygen that we breathe into the atmosphere. But then the carbon atoms becomes part of the sugar that build the tree's body. So yeah, it produces this oxygen, but after it dies, all the dead trees, all the wood, all the dead trees, decompose mostly because of fungi and, and bacteria and then all that carbon that that uh, constituted the body joins again with the oxygen and becomes um, carbon dioxide again so the forest produces constantly the vast amounts of oxygen but the net production is zero so to have the real net production of oxygen we need to bury the dead body of the plant uh, somewhere where there is no oxygen. And this happens mainly in the ocean. So the uh, tiny algae and cyanobacteria in the plankton, they produce more oxygen than all the land plants taken together. It's the, um, the most important source of oxygen. And then they fall down onto, onto the seafloor when there's not enough oxygen for them to decompose. And during the million of years, that becomes that the, they create a layer of sediments that ultimately became oil or gas. Similar process occurs also on land, on marshes, um, pit box, mm. when when the dead matter accumulates also without oxygen, mostly the pit moss, and then it became um, coal. So the oxygen we breathe, we've got in the air now is um, we should be thankful for the plants that during the million years of, of hard work, 
they deposited the carbon that now is fossil fuels for us, and the oxygen is 21% of oxygen uh, in the atmosphere, it's thanks to them. And really what changes this equilibrium, it's not um, cutting down forests because it's not that important. It's mainly burning the fossil fuels mm -hmm. because we are now reverting the process that took millions or hundreds of millions of years. Uh, but of course, um, decreasing level of oxygen is very low. We shouldn't be worried about it as much as, as we know, increased level of carbon dioxide because we, before we can even feel the difference in the oxygen level, we will and we already are experiencing the, the vast uh, overproduction of greenhouse gases and we all know the result. Yeah. But uh, also to, to answer the second part of your question, what, what I find trees, why I find trees so fascinating and important is mainly because they create their own environment. Something like most of organisms live within an environment, but trees do create forests. That, that's an incredible thing. And I cannot think about trees without thinking about forests. It's microclimate, it's importance for like preventing soil erosion and, and um, mitigating like floods and droughts. Uh, water storage and uh, most importantly home for so many species of animals and other plants. Um, forests are the most abundant, most diverse, most rich environments on our planet and the uh, tropical rainforests got the uh, highest number of, of uh, different species living in them. So the trees are not just the part of ecosystem, the creator of ecosystem. That's the most uh, yeah, magnificent. Exactly. They also attract parasites, like uh, you know, you spoke you spoke about tropical rainforest. They attract parasites like orchids, or don't they? Who then live because of the trees? Yeah, yeah, and all the mosses and lichens and yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Home to any kind of creatures. Yeah, and. There is a beautiful, I think it's a Chinese expression from one one acorn can, something like going like that, one acorn can create a whole oak forest. So this is what you mentioned. It's one, one seed can create a forest because the forest uh, procreates, yes. the forest, forest will grow if there is one tree. So it's, it's true. It's a very good point. How is it? it? Yeah. Yeah, truly still, after all these years, I'm, I'm stunned that I can't believe when I'm looking at the acorn uh, to feel that it got the potential to become an oak tree. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's a miracle. Yeah, it's true. We have oak trees in Croatia, um, and we simply love them. They're so beautiful. Just the form of them and, uh, of course, the shade and the, the mightiness, the magnificence of these old trees is just so stunning. Definitely my favorite tree. Yeah. Also, I, I... Oak trees, great for climbing. I don't know any other tree with so so convenient for climbing like the oak trees. Really? I love I love walnuts. I love walnuts a lot and linden trees as well. Um, and bay leaves and um, uh, figs. Fig trees are also one of some of my favorites. They are Never met. Except for in greenhouses. 
Yeah, okay. they're incredible. They sense. grow in, in hard, under hard conditions, but they, they simply grow and have uh, delicious fruit. I, I love them a lot. But how is it with, let's be, when we look at the forest, how, how does the forest regulate rain cycle? It's uh, mainly because uh, all kind of vegetation does it. It's uh, like forest is the most like abundant and dense. Uh, if we think about, it's good to compare it uh, with a field, like what we did in most parts of land, definitely Poland, we cut down the forests and we did uh, irrigate, is that the proper English word for digging ditches? Yeah, I believe so. So we, uh, remove the natural ability of the land to store the excess of water mm -hmm. and uh, store it for, for a time without rainfall and also to keep it from overflowing. Now what we experience is uh, the rainfalls, heavy rainfall. It all just pour from the ground into the ditches, down to the rivers. That's the flood, of course, because the rivers cannot accommodate that much of water. And then when we got, when, when it stops, when there's no rain for an extended period of time, there is no recess because there are not really, okay, this lettuce and this carrot cannot store that much water as, as um, the forest can, and especially as marshes can. Because uh, marshes are, um, less use are perceived as not that useful um, terrain for people we can really cannot use marshes they're just our mosquitoes farm mm -hmm. so people all over the world put a, lots of effort to get rid of marshes but they are the most uh, effective way to accumulate the water rainfall water and release it slowly during that time Yes, yeah, yeah, we saw that. I mean, we saw the sad consequences of that a few weeks ago in Europe or here or in China or in other parts of the world, exactly that the, when the river cannot absorb, uh, we humans suffer. And there, there are helpers who could help us if we understood how we are part of this bigger picture, how we should yeah. use that help. Yeah, the other thing with the floods is the regulating of the rivers. Like it's a natural thing for the rivers uh, to, in the spring to flood the terrain. And I was really surprised how many animals are adapted to it. Like I said, I was writing textbooks and I learned about a species of dragonfly that lie eggs on the land. Uh, dragonflies larvae live underwater, but it lies eggs uh, on the land. Actually, it flies like a little helicopter and drops them from the air uh, on the meadow because it knows that in a week or two, there would be, they would be flooded. Uh, same way many, many fishes just lay their eggs on the flooded meadows because the water is very shallow and very warm. So it's a natural phenomenon. We just need not to build buildings on this area leave them for yep. the excess of water to, to have the possibility to Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad that we humans don't understand that 
that rhythm of the river and the dragonfly does? Uh, yes, the dragonfly, I think that the big difference is that the dragonfly cannot shape its environment, but we do can. We do can, we do it from the very beginning. That's how we became us. That's, that's, what, that, that's our most significant characteristic trait. And we do use it and we will. Uh, all we can do and should do is to do this responsible. Yeah. That's very difficult. Taking yeah. responsibility with, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. We've got exactly. the great power. We need to take the responsibility. It's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, we, we have to come and take responsibility on so many levels, that's true. But back to the trees, um, you mentioned earlier the, the, um, the ecosystem. Um, tell us more a little bit, tell us more about the ecosystem that we don't see, the ecosystem below the surface and how trees actually communicate with each other. Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting issue and uh, we don't know much about it. It's a re recent discovery that, that binds together bits of knowledge from uh, different areas of, of science of biology. But in a nutshell, we know from a very long time that there's something called microregia, if I pronounce it properly in English. It's, it's always difficult for me to pronounce Latin terms in English because it's Latin, it's a dead language and Polish pronounce it differently and British and Americans differently and German. So I believe mycorrhizia is the proper pronunciation and it's a symbiotic relationship between uh, fungi living in the soil and the trees, more precise, their roots. Mm, to, to simplify this, the filaments of, of, the, of the fungi just plug into the roots of the trees and create the gigantic network, branched, dense network in the forest underground. And the benefits are mutual. The fungi who cannot photos photosynthesize uh, just take some of the uh, sugars that trees do produce. And in exchange, um, this, this cooperation enables and trees to better get water and more, more important mineral nutrients from the soil via those, those filaments. And we know this from, from a very long time, but a relatively new thing is the, that one, the, the fungi, the, the, there's not such a thing like underground like a single fungus. It's always a gigantic network joined together. We cannot say when one fungus starts and the other this, they're just one big net. And since the trees in the forest and other plants, but mostly trees are plugged into it, they do have physical and chemical communication with each other. And now we really start to think what it means because trees communicate in a very different way than animals do. I don't mean like mechanically different, but the whole idea is different. Because we've got, um, we've got nervous system. We communicate, we're not even thinking about the way we communicate with different parts of our body. I want to move a hand, I just do it. That's, that's my neurons that, that take care of it. But trees do not have um, neural cells or nervous system. So 
it's a pretty different thing to communicate with one from one part of the tree to another. And do, they do this with the phytohormones. They've got hormones just like we do, uh, with the flow, not with the blood, but with the sap or, or just the, on, on the fluids. And some of them are released like gases, for example, ethylene, that, that just travels in there. It's a hormone that um, causes uh, fruit ripening. And we use it also. It's some, some mixes of gases called banana mix. And when we transport by sea the green uh, bananas, then we close them in the great containers and add some ethylene to make them ripen. Uh, so the same chemicals that the trees use to communicate with them, themselves uh, are traveled through, um, through this network or, or, or of fungus filaments and come with contact with other trees. And we, at this point, really cannot say if this is a byproduct of communicating with itself or do they really benefit from it? There are very, very few um, research in it. Uh, I know one example, but to tell the truth, I read it in a pop science article. Like I didn't uh, research the actual experiment or observation in a scientific journal but it was uh, about herbivores. I think it was elephants and acacia uh, on African savanna when the herbivores start to eat one of the leaves of one of the trees, the, the tree uh, emits, I think it was um, gases, like some substances in the air, not, not in the ground, that are um, activate some kind of response in, in other trees. Like I believe it was producing tannins, tannins, the bitter and harmful chemicals that make the leaves uh, deterring the herbivores. Um, but still, also there's a question of uh, how do trees can benefit from the communication. They really are very slow in reacting to uh, changes in environment. It's not like oh, there's a herbivore, so I just pull my roots from the ground and run away. No, there's no that, that big benefit from communicating with each other. So I believe that's, that's why there wasn't such a big evolutionary pressure to develop the, the ways of communicate. But it's definitely something we know very little about and it's an interesting subject and we should investigate. And as far as I know, we do. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a, an important part of survival and it's all about, nature is about survival and, you know, existing and so on. So it's fascinating to, to see or to know about this huge network, as you said, this gigantic network below the surface that we are not aware of, but it helps trees help them help each other. Yes, because it's not, not only the communication, but also, as I said, the, the, the sugary solution uh, yeah. travels through it. So it's possible for a young or a weak tree to, to just feed on, on other stronger trees. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, um, let us move above the ground because there is one another element uh, or a, another huge benefit in my opinion, I would like to hear your opinion on this, of trees. Um, lately, there have been photos circulating the internet where we see cities. 
we see two streets in a city. One is without trees and of course suffers high temperatures, especially in the summer months. And in contrast, the next picture is a street with trees with a much lower temperature because of trees ability to create a cooling shadow. From a personal perspective, of course, uh, we enjoy this benefit at our home in Croatia, where summertime temperatures are high. There's no doubt about that. And trees clearly provide us uh, with this protective canopy and we spend the whole summer outside simply si sitting uh, under this protective walnut, in our particular case, walnut canopy. Um, how, what do you think is required, Wojciech, that we get more trees back into our lives, into our cities? And what kind of trees? Fruit trees, oaks, what would you suggest? Uh, yeah, I, I gave it uh, quite a thought uh, recently, not recently, but for the last years, because Warsaw Poland is not as warm as Croatia, but still summers in the city, for me, it's way too hot. And um, that's a, that's a difficult question, difficult issue. The question, the answer is really simple, just plant more trees. <laughs> but uh, for the, for the last, last uh, 12 years, I've been living in a, um, a real neighborhood of a block of flats, five-story buildings built in the 70s, mm -hmm. in the communist period, when um, when building new neighborhoods wasn't commercial. Like no one would benefit. So it was some unpredictable decisions from, from the ruling party. Like we're gonna build this neighborhood with no trees at all. There are these parts of the city. And with this, we will have at least 50, 70 meters space between the blocks and there will be a lot of trees. And I'm lucky enough to live uh, in the latter. I'm moving out this month, but for the last 12 years I've been there and I live on the fifth floor, on the top of the building. And I, through the trees, I cannot see the next building because they're from the 70s, they grew so tall. Uh, but now the new, the new settlements built in Warsaw uh, lack it, lack parks, lack trees, because it's just commercial developers and in, I believe that's like in all developing city, growing cities all over the world, there's a housing problem. Yeah. Like the land is really expensive and the people are really desperate to get at least a tiny flat. So no developer will buy this, uh, this uh, expensive land. And okay, on the half we're gonna build houses, and on the other half we still plant trees. No, they're gonna just make houses all over it. Uh, so I believe that the free market wouldn't do the job. I think we need uh, regulations, regulations yeah. from authorities. Like it's mandatory, like 20, 30 percent of the area plant the trees. And since you ask what kind of trees to plant, um, I think the best are the, the ones that are not, uh, the, the, the ones that are long lasting, they're not flat, fragile, like we've got lots of poplar trees in Warsaw uh, because they grow, especially the uh, black poplar of the Italian variety, variety 
columnata way. They're very tall and narrow, and they pretty decorative, but once they reach 50 or 60 years of age, they just fall down. And uh, um, you, you need to chop them down before they do that, or you risk really damage or even someone dying. Yeah. In my previous house uh, during the thunderstorm, the, this, this mighty tree fell down and luckily nobody got hurt. But, uh, and also um, there are trees that we've got branches a bit high. Like we've got, uh, I just talked of the, the yeah. English name for this. Uh, oh, lime tree, lime tree. Lime trees, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in Latin, it's it got some of the varieties got the really low uh, hanging branches, and you need to cut them all the time just to make people and vegetables pass underneath. So they are not very good for planting around the uh, along the roads. But this we are talking about cities. So as I believe in cities, it just need to be regulations. Uh, different thing in the countryside. It, I think it's also connected with the ownership of the land. And there's also the issue of trees planted along the roads. Like in Poland, in rural areas, uh, we've got those really beautiful old um, roads with trees of both sides. And I used to cycle a lot to the country and it was wonderful. But even on a hot day, I was in the shadow all the time but they are planted right next to the road. There's no even tiny space. And as they grow bigger, it really becomes dangerous. Like they're so close. Yeah. No, not you mean the roots. Uh, roots the do the roots uh, lift the asphalt? Does it get bumpy when yes, you cycle? Yes. I, I'm not even thinking about that, but they are so close to the road that in case of any difficult situation, the road, you cannot just miss the passing vehicle by turning around. And, uh, and it's dangerous and dangerous. And in some areas, people decide to chop down those, those really old trees for their own safety. So, yeah. and uh, I don't blame them. It's, it's, it's a, just a difficult issue. Yeah, it is a difficult issue. Well, we had, um, when I lived in Germany, we had an area where we had, we had a parking lot behind uh, this complex where we lived and we had several beautiful trees. We had fruit trees like an oak tree uh, and a plum tree. And people started complaining about this, the fruit falling onto the, on, on cars and staining the cars. So, of course, after I moved, I, I prevented happening while I was there. But after I moved out, they cut down these trees because the trees were creating a mess on cars, which made me, which left me speechless. But this, um, people are planting more and more trees in cities, which has the benefit of us getting trees, I mean, getting fruit. Um, it's nice to pick a fruit from the tree, but not everybody appreciates that abundance. What can we do? Yeah. You cannot, you cannot satisfy everybody. Never. That's true. That's true. My, my parents had to uh, cut down the tree that uh, grew in, in front of our house. It was a different, ex- strange experience because in a way, it was a plant that I planted. Uh, we had a, in the garden, we had a, in a one house we used to live with 
that that he built us a sand pit. That's how we call it for children to play in the sand. It's I believe it's called sand pit, and we played with horse chestnut there, and we buried them in the sand. And after a few years, after we left the, this garden, uh, that found out that they grew into like two meters high uh, horse chestnut trees, and he took two of those uh, plants and planted in front of our house. And it grew very fast because it was in on the north northern part of, part of, of the house, so it was all the time in the shadow and it was desperate to outgrow the building, and it did. And it, I was like 30 at the time, and the tree I planted was as tall as the as a three-story building, but there wasn't enough space for it. Like it wasn't our property. It its branches uh, made their way to, to our neighbor property, and he just didn't like it. He didn't like the uh, birds sitting on on the branches and doing on the car what the birds are best at doing. He didn't like the heavy hot chestnut falling from the second store on his car. So after a year, battles lasting for a year, my parents decided to cut this tree down. And you know, when I think about uh, longevity of the trees, how my lifespan is short compared to the trees, I think about it. Like I, in a way, planted it. It grew really tall. And now it's gone and it's living. Same way I was uh, shocked when I learned that uh, the average age of a tree in Polish forest is like five or six years more than average age of a person in Poland. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. wow, that's that's an interesting statistic. Isn't it? Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, and speaking of age, um, I mean, you address this also in your book. Um, when we look ahead, there is also a lot of knowledge around us for us to sustain us in this world. We don't need all this to invent or to, to invent everything ourselves. We can look at some of this. And ancient civilizations, for example, uh, had a different relationship with trees. And how can we learn from these, quote, uncivilized, unquote, people regarding trees? And um, how can we un best understand this as a humans that we are part of this larger system? This is what we mentioned earlier. Because, I mean, ancient civilizations, this is what you addressed, um, what you talk about in the book, we rely on wood. Our wooden furniture was a, was a tree before. But how can we, despite our dependence on wood, how can we how can we learn about this relationship that the older civilizations had with trees? And what we need to remember and be aware of is that they relied on forest much more than we do. Because I believe when you say ancient civilization, you mean hunters gatherers. Because ancient Romans cut the vast amounts of forests like right away. Yes, like in I know. Median region, when you've got now we've got a shrub and, and bushes, it was all forest long and since the ancient Roman times there are no more. So hunters and gatherers depended on the forest. Like they needed forest to survive. It was the source for the food and because they didn't uh, plant the trees, they haven't fields and even if they had domesticated animals, 
they didn't use pastures, but the woodland was a pasture. Like, like they had pigs, and the pigs, they didn't feed them corn, no corn in Europe then. Uh, they, they just fed like the wild boars on acorns. So the forest was feeding them and they needed to respect it and needed to preserve it and also had no interest in destroying it. Yes. Like, why do they? And since the Neolithic revolution, we started to uh, create fields. We needed arable land. And then the land beneath the forest became more valuable for us than the forest itself. So it's not like they, we, we forgot how the uh, forest is important. It just became less important it's than today. Today, we do appreciate forest, at least part of us. We have lots of benefits from it, but it's not crucial for our survival. If all the forests disappeared from Poland, it would be sad, but it wouldn't be a catastrophe. If all the fields disappeared from Poland, we'll be dying of hunger. There'll so, be other problems, correct, because of that, yeah. But you're right, yeah. But because, uh, like what I'm, trying to say today forests are important but are not the most important part of, of the landscape. Fields became more important. So in this situation, preventing forests needs a different approach than it was like those 10,000 years ago. It's not like uh, we really can very much benefit from, from the attitude of people then because the, the world really changed. We, need forest for something else and we need to do this the other way around yeah i mean um we, we do a lot of um, um business in malaysia um, and we did experience firsthand the destruction of, the, of rainforest on the island of borneo which belongs to on both sides malaysian and the indonesian side and um we know that the element behind this is palm oil um, and we do know that the Amazons are, are or have been a carbon sink. There are some latest results showing that Amazon might not be as much as a carbon sink as it used to be. So we do still, uh, considering our industrial, industrial activities, we do still need forests. Um, and the latest prices of, of wood as a commodity also show that on the other side. But uh, what, we what I believe we need to do, first thing we need to do to protect uh, all the natural habitats, like not only forests, uh, is the first thing, first one of these things is easy, easy to say, uh, control the big companies, yeah. like control the capitalism, but it's, it's quite obvious. But the other thing we tend to forget, we need to start with uh, meeting the basic needs of the poorest people, especially yes. in developing countries. You mentioned the palm oil, like uh, or anything. Like, like imagine we are a poor farmer or, or just a, a poor person in a, a living in this what we Europeans and Americans perceive as a natural habitat, the perfect environment we want to preserve. And I'm sure then connect to the forest, they enjoy the forest, they may even love forest. 
but as no as the forest no longer feed them, they just need to get money to put the food on the table to educate their children to ensure them brighter future, and they will just if there is a way to sell wood, they will sell wood. If they if the only possibility is to have arable land, they will cut down the forest. If the European company will come to this this country and say, okay, here's the copper ore. We're going to build the copper mine. You may work in it. They will do that. Yeah. And uh, until those uh, basic needs of those people are, aren't uh, met, we it looks like with the rich uh, people of Northern Hemisphere coming on our vacation in our jets and say, oh, you destroyed my forest. I just wanted to have a nice holiday here. Now then we need to do something so they can, once their basic needs are, are met, they will have uh, space and capacity to have the spare time to enjoy it in the forest. And one of the most popular ways is to rely on the tourist, in, tourist industry, which greatly suffered during the pandemics, but it's a great way to create jobs for those people while preventing the, the, the wildlife. And I believe that's the way to go. But we yes. cannot neglect the people living there. They own the land. Yeah, I, this is this is a this is an issue, a social issue, well beyond this um, discuss this and other elements that we have to understand the whole a whole system um, here, and we cannot just turn our turn our, our backs on these people, um, and uh, because we have to understand where the problem lies, and where oh, very often is also corruption involved, the big companies moving in sure. and all of that. Yeah, this is especially, we observe that in Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, yeah, but um, what would you say are the biggest challenges of today regarding the trees uh, and the importance of trees and how, how can we overcome this? Yeah, so one thing is what they say, having, having friends among the people there and controlling those who who just act of this uh, merciless chasing the profit. So those we need to control. Also, raising awareness. Raising awareness works works really great. That's, that's what I believe what we're doing right now. So, so you're, you're just uh, being a part of the solution. Uh, it also can be really funny as I see the, the, how the companies try to be more eco in the most funny ways, like writing, oh, 90% of ingredients in our product, it's natural and it's 90% water for God's sake. But yeah, but they at least understood that the consumers want the things to be eco, wants to be obtained in a responsible way. Uh, considered for both the nature and uh, both the, the countries they're taken from. Like you've got the fair trade. It's also yes. a great thing. Yeah. So we need that and we need more. Uh, and the second thing is uh, the quality of the forest. It's not like we cannot just say, oh, like 30% of Poland is forest, it's a lot. But they're not 
there are really very few uh, primal forests, like natural forests, old forests. Most of them, they are basically wood farms, mm -hmm. which is okay, still better than no forest, but it's just pines all along. Very, very pure ecosystem, pure, not pure, poor, not pure, poor ecosystem with, with uh, much uh, less uh, different species of, of plants and animals, and much less um, immune to the changes in the environment. Like if if you get only pine trees, the and the pest that attacks pine trees kills all of it. And of course, uh, you don't have a dead wood in this forest because you cut the trees for wood before it they get old and fall down. So. Uh, the very big part of the forest life that relies on dead wood uh, doesn't exist there. So there are two issues, having forests and having high quality forests, which are really no use for the industry, uh, but are more interesting, rich, fascinating habitats and we people can benefit uh, from contact with them, but on this, I don't know, spiritual, emotional level. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, balance between our material needs and, and our, let's say, spiritual or emotional needs. And once again, people can think about meeting their spiritual needs only after they've met that their basic needs, material needs are met. So it's easy to say for me as I have a roof over my head and full, full yes. fridge to, yes. to say, oh, now I go to the forest. Yeah, exactly. Some. That's easy for us. Exactly. We, are all, we all have the first world problems, as they call them. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So um, in, we're almost at the end. Um, we... I mean, I know when we look at ahead where our my listeners will be interested in knowing more about your work and uh, looking up, maybe uh, searching for some links about you. I know that they can find you on Amazon because this is where I found your book. Um, where else can our listeners uh, find you? Where, which social media channels do you prefer? Uh, actually, I got pretty disappointed with social media. I am on Facebook. I'm not really active, very active there, but you can find me there and you can write me a message. But uh, as for my works, they are not, not really that present in, in the web. Uh, I would love to have a YouTube channel. Like I think it would be really fun, but it takes a lot of time, which I don't have at the moment. So, so yeah, two of my books are translated to like over our books, like the, the one about bees and the one about trees with Soha that like translated to over 2000 languages right now. But my other works, my other books, very little of them have been translated to other languages and none to English, I believe at the moment. So uh, there are, the games I contributed to are available, but it's not a topic of our discussion today. Yes. So yeah, I recommend I recommend those two books because uh, they're probably available in your country wh wherever you live. But 
pretty much that's all I can offer to the broader audience at the moment. That's okay. That's okay. We don't need all to be very active on social media. It's each how each of us likes. And uh, the listeners, please know that you can also find links of my guests on my profile and on the profile of Grounded Press on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Wojtek, it was indeed a pleasure talking to a fellow tree lover. Our rooted friends, our trees, are clearly a foundation of our existence. Simply put, every single breath connects us to trees around us. So thank you for talking to me today. I had a great time too. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this concludes today's conversation with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. Next week's conversation is going to be related to today's talk because I'm going to talk about breath. Stay tuned. <laughs>